Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I am chatting with Jen Vertinen about her journey from broken to whole. You're going to hear her story of being chronically lonely while appearing to be an extrovert. No one would have ever understood her deep feeling of loneliness. So I am excited to dive into this topic with her today. I think it's something that probably many of you listening will relate to. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to empowering you to live your best life by taking accountability for your own personal wellness. Women in particular have a tendency to take care of everyone else around them first while putting their own self-care and wellness on the back burner. This podcast is designed to give you actionable advice and tools to help you power up your own wellness journey and live the best life possible. I am your host, Amy Zelmer. I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine and author of several books. Additionally, I am passionate about helping about I'm passionate about yoga, photography, wellness, and all things glittery. You can find out more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, my guest is Jen Vertinen, and Jen is a coach, mentor, and podcast host. Using her signature candor, humor, and love of looking at life in all its messy glory, she wants the world to know it's possible to heal. Whether talking to her cast of interesting guests about their highs and lows, writing and speaking about her own journey from trauma-induced isolation back to connection with herself, her family, and her community, or working one-on-one with clients, to help unpack their mental BS and their own store and own their stories. One thing is always the same, the transformative power of going there. So welcome to the podcast, Jen. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Hey, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I I love talking about being broken. (laughs) Yes. And how to, how to be unbroken. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're all carrying baggage, right? Every single one of us Absolutely. has baggage. And it's a matter of knowing what to do with that baggage, right? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> um, and sorting through it to figure out mm-hmm. which baggage you want to address and which you're willing to just kind of accept and move on with. Yep. Yep. Just letting it go. Um, so I, I really think today's topic is a really interesting one, how you suffered from people see you as an extrovert, they see you socializing and out with friends and doing things, but on the inside, you just feel so lonely. And I think there's a lot of people who can relate to that. I know I can. Um, a lot of people think I'm an extrovert and I'm like, uh, not really. I don't like people. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a bit introverted unless I'm around people who truly know me. Mm-hmm. Then then I can let loose and, you know, and just be. Um, so, you know, how did you finally come to realize that you were chronically lonely? That's a great question. Um, so I'm 51 now, and I would say that for 45 years of my life, I, I would identify as very like heartbreakingly lonely. And it's something that I felt definitely in my 30s. I started feeling this this longing for female friendship, and I didn't know how to to go about getting it. And I really, at that time, looked to my husband to fill all my needs from a community standpoint, right? Which was unfair to him. I can, I can see that now, but just this, this deep longing within me and not feeling like I was 
worthy enough to to be friends. And the story that I had was, well, I don't even like people anyway. So of course I don't have friends, <laughs> right? I, you know, it, it, it was one of the things that would keep me up at night was worrying about dying and having no one come to my funeral and how embarrassed my family would be. I mean, I say that easily now, but that was a real fear of mine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That I literally had no one except my husband and my three children that would mourn the loss of me. And that's something I carried with me for so long. Wow. You know, you said, I wrote it down, you know, not feeling like you weren't worthy enough to have mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. And, you know, I think to some extent, many of us struggle with that. I know I go through that. Like, I know mm-hmm. I have friends. I know I have really great friends. But then there's those days where it just like consumes you mm-hmm. and you're like, nobody likes me. My friends don't really like me. You know, why should I have friends? Um, yeah. You know, and it, it's it's crippling, right? To get yeah. into that mindset and having to figure out how to claw your way out of that. Yeah, it is absolutely not uncommon for especially women to have those feelings of unworthiness. You know, we're, we're, we're raised being told that we can have it all and we can have a lot, but we can't have it all. And through the process of trying to have it all, so many of us feel are walking around feeling disconnected, dissatisfied, unfulfilled, etc. And for me, that worthiness, um, it really goes back to when I peeled back the layers of, of my own story, you know, there was a lot of trauma early on or not early on, you know, up in all the years I was being raised. And looking back as an adult, the question that kept coming up for me, and I'm a mother myself, but the question that kept coming up was, why did no one step in to save my brother and I? Right? Why did no one do the uncomfortable work to make sure that he and I were safe? Right? And um, I don't have to, you know, I'll get into my story if you want. I, I don't necessarily need to. But the message that I carried with me from a young age was I wasn't worth saving, which when you strip that away, it's, I wasn't worthy. I get goosebumps when I say that because my story is not unique. Right. And it just makes me wonder and think about all the people that are out there walking around with these, these worthiness, the, the feelings of unworthiness and belonging and all of that. And so many are wounded and hurting. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I call myself an oops baby or a third wheel baby. Mm-hmm. Um, my siblings were 17, 16 and 17 uh, when I came along. And I grew up like, I didn't have any rules. I didn't, like, I didn't have a curfew. I that could do whatever amazing. I wanted. <laughs> yes and no, yes, right? I know, I know. Um, and like my parents like I could go wherever do whatever as long as somebody else took me and brought me home like they didn't want to be bothered by it and you know my whole life I heard things like um you know you and maybe they didn't actually say this it's just how I internalized it but like you're not good enough you're not smart enough you can't do that and I think that's what propelled me to do so much was like to prove them wrong Mm -hmm. but now as an adult I'm a caregiver to my parents, right? And so now I'm I'm like living with them and helping to care for them. And I I'm getting hit with that trauma again, right? Of like 
you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like I got yelled at one night for putting dishes in the dishwasher wrong. Um, <laughs> and I finally had to take a step back and I'm like, you know what? And again, this is my opinion. It's never been said to me, but they, I was an oops. They didn't actually, you know, they weren't planning to have me. They were the irresponsible ones. And they've taken that out on me my whole life that I'm irresponsible, even though right. I've never really done anything irresponsible. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and that yeah. was like an aha. Yeah, because that's where adult you, right? It's like once you recognize the core of what might be going on, adult you can come in with your adult brain and, and be like, whoa, that was not yours to own. That was kind of yes. shitty and screwed up, yes. right? Like, yes. In no way would little eight-year-old me be unworthy. In absolutely no realm would that happen, right? But it's the, and this is what I love doing with clients is like uncovering like what are those mm -hmm. those stories that we're carrying deep inside that are having us feeling and doing the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, and I, I, oh, I can't think of the book. Um, but it's like 80% of our financial um, knowledge comes from how we were raised. And so like if your parents are constantly telling you, oh, make sure you save for a rainy day, you know, you're going to have a lot different attitude than mm. say a parent who actually shows you how to use the checkbook and opens an account for you and helps you with it. And, um, yes. you know, it's, it, it's the same concept with, that unworthiness and, and all that other trauma that we pack away and carry with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, on the financial thing, my mom, uh, we would hide stuff from my dad because if my dad found out we had, were shopping and spent money, he yes, would fly so into common. a rage. Yeah. And so I learned you hide things yes. that you buy. <laughs> my husband's like, what, what, why? Cause he wasn't raised with that. Yep. And he probably doesn't care what you buy. Doesn't right? care. He's like, you do you. I, you know, he collects his comic book art. And if you want to invest in a personal development course, go for it. You know, so John, what, you know, what finally hit you in your 30s or 40s mm -hmm. when you started to realize, wait, this isn't like, this isn't me. This is something deeper. This is something I buried. This is my collective trauma. Like, what was that like for you? How did you start peeling those layers? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it my memory is so clear on what happened. So my mom and dad, like, I spent my, my growing up years into adulthood begging my mom to leave my dad, and then she stayed with him. And but at this, they had uh, retired to Ecuador, and they had decided to divorce. And all of a sudden my mom was acting kind of funny and I was like, I bet they're together again. So sure enough, my brother and I get this email from my mom saying how much, you know, they just wanted to have the family back together again, which was fine. But the thing that she said that stood out for me and always will was basically sweeping all the years of abuse on the, under the rug and saying, you know, she and my dad raised us to be so selfish because they were trying to make up for their tense relationship. Mm -hmm. So it was placing the, the blame of it on my brother and I for being selfish, right? right. It, it was like, wait, time out. Maybe we are selfish. Like, let's put that aside. But the statement 
of just ignoring all that abuse yeah. through the years. Right. And it was just, it was such a wake up to me. And again, it was like all this, all this stuff just kind of came rushing to me, all these memories. And it just made me look at that and be like, this is not mine to carry. Like again, eight-year-old Jenny, she did not deserve that. Mm, yeah. This is, this is screwed up. This is not okay. And it, it just, it instilled in me. My mom was an amazing person who happened to be a really shitty mom. Okay. But it instilled in me, she's not ever going to be the mom that I need. She's not going to have my back. Um, and that was, you know, I had to go through some grieving of, of, with that realization. And what I chose was to have a new, different relationship with my mom. And, and when yeah. she did pass away, it was a very beautiful relationship. But that day, she stopped being my mom that had my back. Mm. And it, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and I can relate to that, you know, growing up, everybody wanted to hang out at my house because going back, I didn't have rules. I didn't care what mm -hmm. I did. Da, da, da. So like everybody thought my parents were great, but meanwhile I was like craving like acknowledgement or praise. Like it, like my parents never, ever, ever expressed. They still don't express feelings. And finally, it was probably maybe, maybe 10 years ago when I was like, okay, I'm never going to get that from my parents. So yeah. I just have to accept who they are now and, you know, and now living with them, they're just, they're just who they are. And I just yeah. have to accept that I will never have the mom I had always hoped I'd have. Yeah. And for me, um, I had to, I recognized I still. I very much need that mom and nurturing energy that I'd never had my whole life. I was craving it. And so being this like heartbreakingly lonely, craving that woman nurturing mama energy, finally having that event happen and, and, and figuring out like, wait a sec, I am inherently worthy. I, you know, in doing the work allowed me to go to put myself out there and find my small group of friends um, you know, we call ourselves core four. There's four of us that, um, it. yeah, you know, we, we have a little club name, but, um, but it allowed me to open myself up to receive. It was very mm. easy for me to yeah. give mama nurturing energy. Yes. It was so difficult to receive it. And now it's just such a part of who I am to be able to receive and get that need met because the need didn't go away. Even if my mom wasn't right. going to be able to fill it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so now you're a mom, you yep. have three kids. How, so, you know, knowing, how am I trying to say this? All this baggage that we carry mm -hmm. that came from our parents, all these feelings of unworthiness or whatever it might be to someone listening. You know, I think we try, I, I, I'm not a parent, so I can't relate, but I think, you know, women try so hard not to fuck their own children up. <laughs> Right. Amen. So how, you know, how do you like, I think no matter what you do as a parent, you're going to do some damage. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just it's inevitable. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so to those listening that are in that process right now, of how do I keep from messing my children up? <laughs> you know, yeah. What advice do you have to them? Oh my goodness. I think just accepting that in some way, shape or form, you will have done something wrong as a parent <laughs> that, you know, your, your child is going to carry with them into adulthood and be like, I really wish that hadn't happened. 
<laughs> you know, so I think just recognizing that that that's a fact um, and not trying so damn hard to yeah. always be perfect because you can't be right. What your kids want is your presence. What yes. your kids want is emotional maturity, right? They want you to model what a, a healthy, emotionally mature mm -hmm. adult yeah. looks like. Right. And that's going to look different for each one of us. There's no right or wrong way to do that. But when you make a mistake, are you doing the adult, emotionally intelligent, aware thing and apologizing in a heartfelt way? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as much as are you, you hiding it, what you bought at the store from right, their dad, right. you know, are you in integrity with yourself and, and your people around you? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that emotional maturity, that is key. And here's the thing. We yeah. don't teach it. No one tells you how to do this. Right. So we're fumbling our way through just like everyone else. And so having grace for not only yourself, yeah. but other people who are also walking around somewhat hurt and wounded as well. Right. If we can have some empathy while not allowing people to be assholes to us. Yeah. Right. That's kind of the key. Yeah. And you're so right. You know, they're watching everything we do and they're modeling how they treat other people mm -hmm. based on how you treat other people, you know, and how like you treat when, yourself. Yes. Like when I look back at elementary school and the kids that were the bully and I now know in adult life that they were like being abused by their parents or they were mm -hmm. being neglected at home or, you know, they were latchkey kids, but we didn't know that as kids. We didn't understand right. that. Right. And like, you know, they've learned this behavior from the way that their parents treated them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that there, there's one bully in particular that, you know, I carried that with me for a long time, the way she treated me. And now I have like just so much compassion for her. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. she had a shitty childhood. Like, yeah. no wonder she acted the way no she wonder. did. No wonder. That's one of the, the things I like to do with clients is the no wonder. Like mm. if you take this shitty thing, and I'm actually going to be sharing this on Instagram this week, but if you take a shitty thing and say, no wonder I do the thing I do, right? Like, no wonder. And it's just, it, it takes like the emotion out of it. And now you can get objective. Yes. And when you can get objective, yes. how you can do something with it. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, you talked about you, you looked to your husband to fill mm -hmm. the void of, you know, what you weren't getting as far as, um, um, connection to, yeah, yep. to other people. Yep. Um, you know, how, cause I know you shared pretty openly a while back how you and your husband went through, you know, near some, divorce. Some, yeah. Near divorce. <laughs> yep. And, um, how did you guys like come to that realization and work through it? Because not everybody can work through that. Yeah. You know, That's I was pretty commendable. Oh, thank you. And it also happened around the same time as my mom's email to my brother and I. So it was a little perfect storm thing going on right, there. Right, of course. But <laughs> I had, um, and, and so if you remember, if you, if we go back to, I'm 45 years old, I'm miserable in my life. I have everything going for me and I hate my life. I hate who I am. I hate everything about it. And so I thought the thing to do to fix that, like the last thing left to do would be to leave my husband. Right. 
So I put my plan in motion. I actually rented an apartment. I hadn't moved yet though, because our daughter was still in school and she didn't know. And I kept telling people, I love him, but, and I, I would say to him, like, maybe when we're 75, we can get married again. Oh. Right. Like, and this to me, it, it sounds so silly, but I would find evidence, articles of people who had done just this, of people who were living side by side and, and maintaining these really great relationships, even though they weren't married. And he was like, that's eh, no, not really my thing. No, you know. So anyway, we told our daughter it was one of the worst days of my life. Um, and it that whole night I laid in bed and it kept going through my head. This isn't actually what you want. This isn't actually what you want. And I, I, that next morning he rolled over, I had been crying all night and I told him, I'm, this isn't what I want. I I've made a mistake. Um, and here's the thing, my ego up till then had been driving the bus. My ego yeah. was like, of course, everything's going to be course. okay when you, of course you, you got that, you know, blah, blah, blah. The only way I can explain it is that that night, my heart was talking louder than my ego. That's the only way I can explain it. My heart was like, you do not want this. What are you doing, Jen? <sighs> what are you doing? You know, and so he and I obviously had to have many in-depth hearts to hearts because of course he had lost some trust and faith in me, yeah. right? And it was, we kind of gave it a week. We weren't going to tell anyone. We gave it a week for us to just have these deep conversations. And we both made that promise to each other. Like if we're staying together, this is it right? Like we, we are doing the work, um, to get through this and to get through future stuff, right? It's not always, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be bumps, et cetera, et cetera. But now we're, we're six years from that. And I, he, he's, he is the one person in my life who always had my back, no matter what. And I was, I was so fucked up that I was going to walk away from the one person that, that had my back. When you when you can look back at it objectively, yeah. isn't that yeah. so interesting? Yeah. You're trying to self-sabotage. Absolutely. Um, because that was like, that was of course the last thing that I could do to fix myself. <laughs> no, I needed to do the hard work to heal from the childhood stuff. That was my yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. And Thanks how long have you that up? How long have you been married now? It's going to be 20 years, December 30th. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. so awesome. And it's just, we have such a neat little, the three of us, my two older boys are out of the house and now my daughter is 17, the, the last one at home. And the three of us just have such a tight knit. It's so fun to give my daughter the mature adult, emotionally well me. Um, my boys didn't necessarily always get that. Um, they do now, but it's so fun to, to raise someone and be like, I'm minimizing how much I'm fucking them up. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so like, how, how did your husband, um, I mean, clearly you guys are still together, right? Yeah. So how, like, what, what do you know what was going through his mind when you're like, we're done? Yeah. You know, he wasn't going to beg. Um, it's just not his style. Uh, he would tell me, I, I think you're making the wrong decision. I think you're making it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, cause he's, he's always been very emotionally intelligent, which is kind of annoying, but I love it. Too, <laughs> right. That's how um, you balance each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But 
you know, he was like, we would still hold hands and everything. And it, you know, we'd say, I love you. And, um, he just, he stayed by my side, but he wasn't going to be a doormat and be like, please, please stay, please don't go. That's just not who he is. Yeah. Um, but we did, we agreed to go to marriage counseling. And I think what had happened through the years is we had forgotten how to communicate with each other Mm, and how to listen to what you were actually saying. And then I had in my head, not made up stories, but made up what his reactions to things would be when his reaction in real life would have, would have been very differently. Right. And it, so it was, it was unfair of me to, to think in my head, well, this is going to be his reaction to whatever a trip or a purchase or, you know, and, and he was very much like, well, let's just talk about it. Right. You know, I get that. Like when I was married, I would sometimes be afraid to tell my husband, like, I'm going to do this or Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy this. Um, I had a similar, like my mom would buy things and not necessarily tell my dad. I mean, not, not the same degree of your mom, Mm -hmm. but similar. And so I had some of that, like I can relate to that. And, and again, my husband too was like, cool, (laughs) you know? so what (laughs) good for you (laughs) and it was like you do you make up all these things in your head about what Mm -hmm. he's gonna say about it and in reality it's like oh cool um you know and i think we do that about everything we make up things in our head about what our friends are gonna say or what the audience we're speaking to is gonna say or you know if we're writing a blog post you know what are people going to think about this? And we do, we make up all these stories in our head and it's so unnecessary to go through that. If you think of it though, too, it's also really unfair to the person you're making the story Mm -hmm. up, right? It's really unfair. They don't get to have their seat at the table. You've taken that away from them. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm so much better at not assuming what his reaction to something might be and just having the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true with my girlfriends with, with at work. It's not making an assumption, not making up a story as best I can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, too, like the whole aging thing and the maturity factor and, you know, like it was in your 30s when you started to come to the realization and, you know, you're in your 40s when you have the conversation with your husband. Now you're in your 50s. Mm -hmm. Like it's like every couple of years that I get older, I'm like, man, I'm so much more like mature and emotionally mature. Like, yeah. I wouldn't ever want to go back to like my twenties. I mean, as much fun Hell as my twenties no. were, if I could go back to my twenties with my yes. my emotional maturity of now, I would. Yes. <laughs> yes. But it's like, wow, we were just so unprepared for life back then. <laughs> right? Like I said, they don't teach this stuff. Yes, this agreed. To living a happy well-loved well-lived life it's the key Mm -hmm. and we don't teach it what the heck Mm -hmm. (laughs) i do think we're getting better about sharing with kids though like the compassion and the self-love like i do think we're better with that absolutely Um, but you know and and i do think 
You know, I remember in college, I we had a really good friend who was in his 30s. He was a non-traditional student. He decided to go back to school full time and we loved hanging out with him. And we were like, man, you're so mature, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it's like you don't realize like he could have never told us. Like I know he tried to tell us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just wait. Your thirties will be great. And we're like, oh, thirties so old. <laughs> you know, when you're like twenty, twenty one. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it's like old. I don't think you can ever tell kids that it's gonna be better when they're thirty, right. forty. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's almost I, dead. <laughs> I I'm loving the aging process yeah, for the most part. I love the wisdom I have mm -hmm. and the confidence I have mm -hmm. and the I'm not here for the bullshit anymore. And it's, yep. I've cut so much out of, of that out of my life. And I look around me at people who haven't done that yet and not, not misery. I mean, a lot of people have really great lives. Um, that's not what I'm trying to say, but just that they're carrying this with them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be like, it can be so much better. It can be so much better if you were willing to kind of, face your stories, your beliefs and, and do something instead of, you know, burying your head in the sand. It's so much yeah. better. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I kind of did. I had a mentor that did kind of, she was about 10 years older than me. And I feel like I was a little bit prepared for mm -hmm. what it was going to be like, but it's actually so much better than it, yeah. I thought it could be um, yeah. to age. So well, and my yeah. middle one is 25, which I had my first at 20 and I had my middle one at 25 and he's 25 now. And mm. I just look at him and he's not immature, but I'm like, dear God, I had two children at that age. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> dear, dear Lord, what the heck? How did I do that? What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Well, of the three, he was the only planned one. But, mm. um, you know, it was just like, oh, my gosh, I had to grow up literally overnight to become a mom to these yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jen, um, anyone that wants to know more about you and learn more about you, I know you have a podcast called yep. Going There with Jen. Yeah, um, which you've been and, on. Hmm? Yes. Which you've been yes. on. And your website is jenvertinen.com, yep. which I will have in the show notes so anyone can go and click through there. Um, but tell us a little bit more about what, what you offer. Yeah. So right now it is one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching. I especially love working with Gen X women. So women in, in my demographic. Um, I think, again, we were raised being told that we can have it all. And so we've tried to have it all. And now we're like, yeah, and having it, having it all has me feeling <laughs> dissatisfied, unfulfilled, kind of numb, you know, and so stressed I love out. stressed out, <laughs> like all the things. Right. And we have so much to offer the world. We are not becoming invisible, no matter what society wants to tell us. And I just, I love helping women at this point in their life when the kids are maybe they're in high school or they've gone off to college of just what does that next phase look like for them yeah. and helping them get there, right? Because part of having it all, and I put that in quotation marks, is we kind of forget what our needs and wants are anymore because we've been so busy chasing this dream. Right. And then you get the you get the dream and you're like, that really that's that's it. <laughs> and it's like it doesn't have to be that way. So that is where my heart is at. 
is helping these women figure out what's next for them and how they go after it and just continue living amazing, amazing lives. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. I just know it's going to resonate with some of our listeners. So thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. And be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Amy Zelmer and consider leaving a five-star review of this podcast wherever you're listening to help others who are also on their own wellness journey discover this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day and I'll see you in the next episode.